You are now listening to The Living Numbers and Tony Rambles. <laughs> Tony Rambles. <laughs> Tony Rambles. 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 And The Living Numbers Podcast. So here's the thing. With your days being as easy or as difficult as you want, what you should do is you should alternate. You'll have a really you know hard day. Where at the end of it, you're like, oh, I'm tired, but good, sort of tired. Leave it all on the field. And then the next day when you're resting, you appreciate it more. Mm, I, you know what? I don't think anyone's ever told me something like that. <laughs> so just cycling like that. You know, so like people who are uh, like weightlifters, they'll cycle what they're doing if they're trying to bulk up. And so not every day is the same 4,000 calorie day of and, right. you know, lifting the same way. Some days they go heavier on the lifting. Some days they go lighter. They're working different body parts. Some days they're eating a lot more. Some days a lot less. But if you're cycling like this, it allows you to actually move in the direction that you want. So, you know, there's a reason why we need to build rest days in, whether it's physically from training or mentally slash emotionally. So, you know what? You just got through a long year, you know, the first two, three days, you should do, be doing nothing, you know, sitting there having, <laughs> you know, an adult beverage, you know, sleeping in, you know, not wearing pants, whatever you want. Yeah. You get back into mixing in some difficulty so that you don't atrophy. Man, that is, that is so great. And what okay, you we're just done. did there. Let's just turn it off. I mean, what you just did there is the essence of Joe Templin looking at your LinkedIn. I mean, there was so much there. It was kind of hard to kind of bring it in. How can I <laughs> introduce, introduce Joe? So I think that's where we're going to start. I think we'll, we'll jump in right here. Sounds good to me. Here we go. This is the living numbers podcast. And I am your host, Tony rambles. And today I have a wonderful guest. It, unlike anyone that I've ever interviewed before. However, y'all know how we start everything. We've got to do our housekeeping first. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, download, whatever applies, whether you're listening or watching on YouTube or you're listening on Spotify or Apple or Breaker or Google, wherever it may be. Anchor, shout out to you. Make sure you guys uh, like, subscribe, share, and uh, rate five stars. Um, also, follow me on TikTok and Instagram at underscore Tony Rambles underscore. And you could like my newly created Facebook page. So go over there, follow, like, and follow the podcast and everything that I'm doing on those social media channels. Last but not least, you can email the show, one Tony Rambles at gmail.com. Now, hailing from Saratoga, New York, holding four. Master's degrees from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. Hope I got all that right. Ultra marathon runner, autodidact, polymate. I think, I hope that's right. Physicist, financial advisor, and author, among other things. His book, Everyday Excellence A Guide to Growing, comes in packs of 10 to encourage sharing the wealth of knowledge. Our wonderful guest, Joe Templin has wonderfully put in for you all living his second life actually 
because he actually passed away from an asthma attack at 10 years old. So he's making the most of it. Black belt martial artist, cellist, father, and human Swiss army knife. I present the incomparable Joe Templin. Tony, love it. There's a couple of little tweaks that we need to make because now I'm from RPI, but that's okay. It gets the gist and that's the whole idea behind poems and coaching and all that. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it yeah, has yeah. to move us in the right direction. So you, you use this word autodidact poly something. I think my, I, my, I think my autocorrect changed the word, <laughs> but I had to keep rolling. I was doing the At intro. Least it didn't change it to psychopath because <laughs> that would have led to some interesting conversations. Okay. So I want to start like childhood because you had this asthma attack. You were severely asthmatic and you go from basically dying to starting college at 13 years old. Yeah. Cause my parents said 12 was too young to start college. So please start there for us. That's our first number. Our first number is 13 years old. And right, it's now we're going to actually go to eight. Because I was like eight-ish years old. I told my mom I wanted to learn everything that there was to learn. And like she in was the like, world? okay, well, you better get to work. The you know encyclopedia is over there. So I actually literally read the entire encyclopedia, which was great when I went on like the uh, trivia team. Because I outscored like all the other teams combined. You know, sort of mm-hmm. like Babe Ruth in 1927. Uh, but <laughs> so that was my start. My mom was a nun. Yes, my mom the nun. I talk about that regularly and a college professor. My dad had gone to RPI uh, army and then uh, was went into consulting. So I had these two strains that really uh, became part of my DNA literally and really drew me into the world of academics, but my parents encouraged it. I mean, my mom bought us bug jugs when I was a little kid so we could check things out. I was always trying to do experiments. In fact, she promised me a chemistry set. And then after I took chemistry, so I took chemistry in high school, you know, got 99 on the regents exam. I'm like, where's my chemistry set? She's like, wow. you need to take AP chem. I got a five on the AP chem. I'm like, where's my chemistry set? And she's like, you're too dangerous now. I'm not giving you one. (laughs) So of course I ended up, you know, going on and working for the department of defense in DARPA advanced research projects and designed a nuclear bomb and a whole bunch of other stuff. So it's sort of like in NCIS where Gibbs's father won't let him touch the rifle. So he becomes a Navy sniper. So give your kids the chemistry set or else they're going to go make, you know, weapons of mass destruction and stuff like that. Um, and as a side thing, by the way, I noticed you've got the Detroit Tiger uh, Lions yeah. thing up there. Matt Patricia went to Rensselaer Polytechnic with me. Your former head coach was a couple years behind me. And so this is an individual. He was an aeronautical engineer, and he took that analytical mindset and under the tutelage of Bill Belichick, you know, mm-hmm. ultimately became a head coach. Now, Belichick is unlike Bill Walsh in that he did not share his information the same way. So hopefully I can be more like the Bill Walsh tree with your listeners and share some insights than with the of course uh, of course you Bill will. Belichick sort of thing. Oh, and by the way, I am a Vikings fan. I need to put that out there so your people. Ah oh, man, I think this interview is over. Yeah, Gosh. you know what? Vikings are okay um, as long as you're not a Packers fan. Then I think we're Dude. good. <laughs> Leave those cheese heads out of it, okay? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. So how'd you so, wait? How'd you become a Vikings fan? Uh, so you're from New York, right? Yep, I'm from upstate New York, and so all my cousins and I've got like 40 cousins were all uh, Giants fans growing up. Okay, and so they were sort of obnoxious. And I was born in '72, so when I was a kid, that's when we had the Purple People Leaders. And so I'm like, oh, yep. I love these guys and everything. And so you know, that was one of my early fascinations with Vikings and pirates and stuff like that. Even today, I want to be a pirate. In fact, I was doing a coaching call earlier, and I have a model that I use for handling objections that is called the pirate model because it's R. Wow. And so, oh, you know, it, these, you know, weird fascinations that we can have can inform us and actually give us mm-hmm. some flavor in terms of who we are. Because if any of your listeners are in sales, don't try and be like everybody else. You know, you can wear the white shirt and dark suit like I am, but be yourself and it's going to be mm-hmm. memorable because if there's a hundred salespeople there, or a hundred different companies and 98 of them are the same. And one has, you know, a person with an orange tie or a completely radical different idea. Guess what? They're going to get differential results from yeah, those yeah. that stick out. So don't be a sheep, be a leader. <laughs> I always tell my, um, well, when I talk to other teachers and I tell my kids that like, you just, whatever you are, like whoever that is, like you got to just be that. Cause nobody, nope can can replicate that and that's the best person that you're going to be able to be is you like you can't try to do things a different way and i tell this story all the time i have a a teacher right across the hall from me we couldn't be more different in how we teach our classes but the results that we both get they speak for themselves and it's because we're authentically ourselves we do things how we do it and we do it to the best that we can and so speaking of like education like how was how was it being in college as a 13-year-old? Because I, I just So I was I in a program with other hyper-advanced kids. So it was mm. nice because I was no longer, you know, just you know, the smartest kid there. Okay. There right. were others who were smarter than me. In fact, I've got a, a guy, he's still a close friend of mine to this day, Dr. Adrian Scott, who went there to Hopkins with me and then on to RPI. And his parents didn't want to let him play with me because I was, you know, like a bad influence or something. Uh, but he he's he was the youngest PhD in applied mathematics from RPI ever. He picked up his MBA at the same time. And this is one of the, like, he was one of the founding investors in Friendster and MySpace, you know, go back in the day. Oh, and, wow. Okay. And he was one of the leading experts on crypto, like, you know, early, early stage crypto. Like Big time. Bitcoin was trading at like a dollar a piece. You know, which it might go back down to, but who knows? Um, so, you know, this is an individual who's just off the chart intelligence in a different way than I tend to be. And his younger brother, Adrian, went to RPI with me and was actually a physicist. And so having people like this around you who have their own gifts, who you can be as geeky as you want to be and as weird as you tend to be without judgment, it's just pure right. acceptance. And so like my older brother, my Irish twin, uh, was in the same program with me. And he's not mathematically oriented like I am. He's pure, mm-hmm. you know, th- this guy can learn any language on the planet. And he's got a sense of humor that, you know, puts me to shame. And he can, you know, draw <laughs> comics and all this other stuff. So he's got different talents, but we were able to interact and be in the same sort of universe and mm-hmm. be able to support each other. And so having your tribe of whatever your weirdness is with other individuals who are going to 
push you to be better in your mm. capacity, whether it's other martial artists, other runners, other teachers. I yeah, mean, yeah. I'm surprised that there's not more teachers study groups where you can steal best practices from each other and be able to talk about some of the issues that you're dealing with because there's more and more issues with kids, whether it's ADHD, right. autism, you know, bad parents, lack yeah. of parents, you know, drugs in the schools, social media, all these things that are creating these wrinkles that are difficulties in terms of you being able to help unlock the potential and get these kids to love learning, which is ultimately what the teachers are supposed to do is light the fire in them, get them to yes. want to learn. And then they're going to continue it beyond graduation. And that means that you've done your job right there. Yep. If they love learning and keep pursuing it beyond the point where they're required to, you've been a success and you'll be remembered forever. Like Mrs. Foster, my sixth grade teacher who passed on 20 years ago still is. One thing that I do try to tell my kids, especially with the ones that are really, really the exceptional up here in the brain, they, they think on just a different wavelength. I'm like, okay, it's, it's one thing to be really, really, really smart, but there's a balance that you got to kind of have of being able to be around other people that are not as smart as you, frankly. Mm -hmm. Okay. So with you and you had your tribe where you're around these other really, really super, I mean, off the charts, intelligent people, how different was it to then go and kind of be around people that weren't a part of that tribe? Even if you have hyper-intelligence, you have, that's not who you are completely. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I started studying martial arts at um, 12. Yeah, just before I started in the Hopkins program. So you're around just other normal kids. And, yep. you know, so people who might be much more athletically talented than you, because I certainly was not athletically talented and I still am not. As I say, I'm a math <laughs> kind of athlete. Uh, so you're around these people who are better than you. So you're trying to learn off them. You're trying to emulate them. You're trying mm -hmm. to uh, like be more like them. And yeah. with martial arts or learning to play an instrument or learning a new language, it takes time. I mean, as I said, my brother is just unnaturally gifted with languages. He can learn almost anything. You know, I have other friends who are just unbelievably gifted physically in terms of stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a guy who I trained Taekwondo with, Nick who, you know, just his body awareness was incredible and everything physical came easy to him, right? And so here's the thing. Yep. If everything yep. comes easy, then when it's no longer easy, so if you're the incredibly smart kid and suddenly you go to college and you've never had to study and work, then mm -hmm. it's a different world. So learning yeah, that yeah. early on was good for me. So the fact that I was not physically talented gave me an advantage because I knew I had to struggle. I knew I had to work hard. Work. It's like David Goggins saying, I'm, I'm dumb. I need to study harder than anybody else just to catch them. And so I'm going to outwork them. You know, Eric Thomas saying the same thing. You're not going yep. to outwork me. Okay. Yeah. So there's something to be said. I learned that from the martial arts side of things and then was able to apply it within the world of academics and intellectual learning. And so you know, I follow my curiosity because I'm an incredibly curious individual. And so, oh, go over here, go down this rabbit hole. Oh, go over here, go down this rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden I'm learning all about, you know, history or economics or psychology or things like this. And then I can like cross assemble these things and be right. able to allow concepts from like music 
to influence my martial arts, which then influences my work with business and psychology and things like that. And so having this ability to pursue what interests you and go really deep on it is something Mm -hmm, I encourage mm -hmm. all students. I mean, I don't care if you're interested in, you know, 18th century Prussia, or if you're interested in, you know, the accordion or what have you go deep with it. Because if you're doing it properly, I mean, musicians develop a a capability for practice and attention to detail that they can export to sales, that they can export to raw, that they can, you know, the relationship between music and physics and mathematics is incredibly well known, whether it's uh, Einstein or Feynman or Dr. Sir Brian May from Queen. These are well-known things. So developing excellence within one area it gives you a cross-disciplinary capability that you can then export mm. other things and become really good there. Right. And you start to kind of round yourself out as a person yeah. because you're so great here. It teaches you these skills that helps you to become not just not bad, not just competent, but start to maybe get good in these other areas because of those things that you've learned. So wait, how do you have four degrees? How did that part happen? So I got a big head start. I don't sleep that much. You know, I've got these huge interests, so I was studying physics, and I was doing literature at the same time, which led to uh, communications. And then, you know, I graduated, I rolled right into working on my master's work. Um, And so I was working on towards my master's in Taekwondo, my master rank there, but I was working towards my master's in uh, physics, Same, and I started working on an MBA at the same time. So I was doing all those. And then you finish up, and if you maintain that I'm going to keep learning mode, then you roll straight into getting your professional designations, where it's mm-hmm. getting your professional engineer or your, your CPA or getting your CFP like I did. And also, you know, my chair advisor flamped me and all these other things. So you pick those up. And then when you stop doing that, well, maybe I'll start studying this. Maybe I'll, you know, so a few years back, I started studying um, after really getting in depth on psychology, not just performance psychology, but also behavioral economics and stuff like that. I went yeah. and got my certified executive counselor and then my master's certified executive counselor. So I could work in that space. And so if you're just continuously learning, you will accumulate these degrees, but accumulating degrees doesn't necessarily mean you're intelligent. It doesn't necessarily right. mean you learn. It means that you've jumped through the hoops and got the box. So the important mm-hmm. thing is to be able to extract the information. As my father taught me decades ago, in every situation, whether it's a meeting, whether you're going to a conference, whether you're interacting with a person, you're reading a book, you're watching a movie, try and pull out of there the pearl of excellence. Eventually, you can string enough of them together and you have a very rich life. So how did you land on, because you've done like a ton of different things, you have all of this expertise, you have all of this, this training and these certifications and this education. How did you pick something to kind of actually focus on and like make money? Like, how'd you decide where to get the job? So, you know, I w- was started my master's in physics and my godfather and namesake died unexpectedly. And he had mm. the family farm. And because of a 20 plus year old will, crooked attorney, no financial planning done properly, we ended up losing the family farm where I learned to fish and swim and shoot and all that. So I decided I was going to go into financial planning. So I called the local general agent for one of the companies. I'm like, I'm going to come work for you. It's like, what? Because I was like, nobody self-recruits into that industry unless you're coming from trauma like I did. 
And so I called them up, went and interviewed, started working as a college intern. Eventually, I was running the internship program. Eventually, I won all the awards, um, served on the national board, uh, won the the 4 under 40 award, all that sort of stuff. So I went incredibly deep into that. Was financial planning, consulting, writing, coaching, speaking. It's all about helping people in the end. Yes. As Muhammad Ali said, service to the others is the rent we pay for our room here on earth. So I believe that all the way. My mom always said, if you're having a bad day, go help somebody. So my mom, the nun, taught us about service, not by preaching to us, but by exhibiting it. Showing, By living it. You know, the old saying, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Okay. Or as the Stoics say, you know, don't talk about what a good man is, be one. So I had these good examples uh, throughout my entire life, whether it was my parents, you know, my aunts and uncles. Um, my cello instructor, my martial arts instructor, my mentors at work. So I had some great examples. I had some lousy examples. So they were uh, <laughs> basically you know, warnings as opposed to uh, beacons. But y- you develop who you are over time. And so the financial advising led into you know, consulting, ultimately leading into speaking and teaching around that. Mm-hmm. But again, as Nietzsche says, you know, if you have an overarching theme to your life, you know, and so helping others and yep. creating underneath that, utilizing my synthetic uh, knowledge capability yeah. is one of the things that allows me to live in alignment in a lot of these different ways. So, mm. you know, I'll go from a coaching meeting where I was coaching financial advisors right before I jumped on here to having a discussion with you about education and being able to look at the numbers and do all that to going and actually tutoring my 15 year old kid afterwards on his French to, you know, going and doing martial arts and then go and doing something else and then, you know, going to scouts. So it's yeah. just an alignment. And so one of the things I say is in your teens and twenties, you need to explore and discover what excites you, who you are, and you start building right. skills and knowledge and uh, relationships and resources. Then your thirties, you start putting it all together and then you can start flying and, you know, really creating. Really taking off. Yep. So you mentioned you have two kids. They're both oh, I autistic. Got three. I got three. Three. three oh, man. Yep. So talk about that because you are very busy. You do a lot of stuff. You have a lot of interests. Uh, you run your ultra marathons, which we'll get into. You can talk about as well. But how do you kind of balance that, you know, family time that you need to have with your kids and all of the amazing things that you're doing? OK, well, one, I said I don't sleep that much. I sleep about five hours a day. So mm. Arnold Schwarzenegger had a speech years ago where he was talking about, you know, fully maximizing your day and taking advantage of it. And he's like, well, you, you say you need to sleep eight hours. Sleep faster. <laughs> they don't necessarily need eight hours, you know, seven hours, six hours, catch up a little bit extra on the weekend, you know, take a 10 minute power nap, schedule it in the middle of the day, just be ready to go. We're more tired in our mind than we are. In our body. Mm. Okay, so you get acclimated to that in a lot of way. And so if you, Jack Warwick says, you know, get up earlier, shift your day because uh, before other people get up and can disrupt it, you can be more productive. So you can actually a half hour in the morning, you can get more work done than a half hour in the evening. Typically. I agree. So that's totally. coming into the efficiency component. And I try to be very efficient. I've gotten rid of mo- all of the games on my phone, basically. 
um, and I multitask because we all have 86,400 seconds per day. And when you, the clock strikes midnight, it's gone. Okay. So did you waste it? Did you spend it? Did you invest it? Because if you invest mm-hmm. it, you'll get dividends that then help you out down the road. And that's the nonlinear growth curve on here. Yeah. Talk about it. Okay. We'll get back to that. So, you know, we all have the same amount of time, but what can you do to multitask that time? So for example, when I'm working out in the morning, I'm also listening to a podcast or an audio book or something like mm-hmm. that. So I'm taking care of my body. I'm also feeding my mind and depending on what I'm listening to, it could be taking care of my spirit. You know, I'm supervising kids doing homework, but I'm also making dinner at the same time. And we might yeah, have yeah. a podcast going on at the same time so that we're all learning together. So that gives us a shared uh, knowledge base to be able to have discussions around. So I can do, you know, get some lessons there that are important to me as a father to make sure that my sons grow into good leaders and independent, respectable contributors to society as opposed to growing up to be Lex Luthor. So <laughs> the, you can multitask like that in a lot of ways. And so people are wasting a lot of time. So they commute into work and what are they doing? You know, they're driving and, you know, listening to the radio, paying attention to gossip, which is yeah. just filling their head, listening to the news. Don't listen With to junk. Okay? the news. Yeah. is meant there to sell commercials. It's there to create fear, to create attention, things like that. You know what? You can get whatever information you really need in two to three minutes a day by looking at the front pages of stuff, and, you know, a mm-hmm. Twitter feed that has a couple of things that in two to three minutes and then you don't get scared because when you get scared, right, right. it creates cortisol and, you know, it makes you dumb. Literally, it weakens <laughs> your brain. So you reduce your cortisol, which comes from sleep, good meditation, proper food, working out, listening to music, interacting mm-hmm. with individuals, smiling is a great thing. So smile at other people. See, you just activated my mirror neurons. I want to smile. My cortisol levels are dropping. My serotonin levels are going up. I'm more intelligent now for the next couple of minutes and creative because you smiled at me. Thank you for that gift. Yes. Okay. That's what it cost we do you absolutely nothing. And how much time did it take? It was literally part of the normal interaction. Yep. Okay. Yep. So by doing that, you're helping others and you're helping yourself and you're making yourself smarter and more creative for the next 10, 15 minutes from it. So smile wow. more. Uh- so I wanted to touch on this because of your financial background and our next number here is oil is over $120 a barrel, which is double mm-hmm. uh, from where it was in August last year. So, I mean, could you just shed some kind of light on what we can do going forward just for the, the lay person like me? Okay. So one, you know, be efficient with your time. So like I grew up out in the country, so it was 10, 15 minutes to town. My hometown did not have a traffic light until after I got out of grad school. So my parents would not run into town just to go buy milk. Okay. So we would batch our errands. So I batch my emails. So I'm going to do email for 15 minutes instead of doing email for one, then going over here and going over here because there's a mm. switching cost. And so we apply this concept of switching costs to our reality. You know, okay. okay I'm going to run this errand, this errand, this errand, this errand. So I run out once instead of multiple times. So that creates efficiency in terms of time and in terms of the financial resource that, you know, because gas is now $5 a gallon will probably be different by the time this thing airs. Um, But, you know, it's literally twice as much as it was a year ago. Yep. Okay. Secondly, you know, if you can utilize technology, because I've got a saying, moving electrons is more efficient than moving molecules. I've said this for decades. 
So 20 years ago, I was doing teleconferences with clients where it was all on the phone. I was FedExing paperwork to California and Chicago, all over the country, instead of getting on a plane or driving someplace. So clients either came to my office, I would go to a site like uh, my clients who ran a computer uh, game company, I'd go there, but I would literally be there all day. I'd meet seven, eight, nine clients there. So I wasn't, you know, driving here, then driving here, and then driving here. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a waste of time, that switching cost when you're driving between appointments, plus there's the cost of moving yourself for that. Yep. So move electrons as opposed to molecules wherever possible. So use Zoom and things like this. Uh, like I used to have uh, meetings with clients. I'd be like, and you know what? If it snows, just, you know, let's do a teleconference, even though you're only 10 miles away. That way you don't have to deal with it. Right, and so it allowed right, me right. to keep more appointments than my peers. So I outperformed because I was stacking in more per day, same way that you know, I do in terms of my multitasking always. So focus on how can you be more efficient in terms of batching things. Focus mm-hmm. on when you can use an alternative, uh, such as using uh, uh, telecommunication capacities, right. which is fine because that's what I actually did for the government 30 years ago was working on telecommunication systems. Uh, and I was telling the generals, eventually we'll be able to do this. And they thought I was on crack. Wow. I'm right. You are. <laughs> this point, this is life now. So it doesn't matter. All right. So those are certain things. One, take care of the basic maintenance on the vehicle because if your tires are low and your oil's you know, junk, junky and stuff like that, you're actually going to lose a lot of efficiency. So it'll, it'll cost you 10 or 15% more there. You know, ask yourself, do I need to do this? So like the store that I go and buy milk from is just over a mile away. Hey, you know Mm -hmm. what? Put on a backpack. I'm going to walk and get my, you know, physical activity in. I'll listen to a audio book or whatever while I'm walking there and then walk back. And so instead of spending, you know, when you look at the entire cost of startup, start to turn down you know, uh, with the vehicle, uh, the wear and tear and all that probably cost me $5 to make that trip all told. So I remember when I was a kid, uh, my closest friend out in the country where we lived was five miles away. Mm-hmm. And being one of six kids, you know, my, my parents couldn't take the time to drive me and all that. So right. I, I would bike five miles to go see my friend and five miles back. Not a big deal. So we're going to talk about now your life as an ultra marathoner. So we're going to start with 10K. And you said this thing that was very profound to me, and it applies across disciplines, which doesn't surprise me. You said run until being a runner becomes a part of your identity. Mm-hmm. So, and you said 10K was that sweet spot. So I want you to kind of zoom in on the ultra marathon thing, but also talk about one of the things that was more difficult like to ingrain, to make a part of like who you are? Well, becoming a a runner in my identity was something that took years and years. So I ran Mm. cross country and junior high and all that. And uh, I didn't run in high school because I wasn't good enough, quite frankly, because uh, my high school was the best running high school in the country. I mean, we produced Olympians. We won the state, uh, the women won the state championship like 15 years in a row. I mean, it's just crazy. So if anybody knows Art and Linda Cranick or is a cross country runner, they know about that. They know about Saratoga High School. 
So, you know, I wasn't, I did running and then I started, you know, Taekwondo and volleyball, but I ran to supplement it because it was great mm. cross training. And that's always how it was. So in my mind, I wasn't a runner. I was a volleyball player. I was a martial artist. Okay. So, you know, and I ran some 5Ks in high school because there's always a charity event or, you know, <laughs> at a lot of the conferences, there's one. So I did that and then stretched out to 10K when I was a college intern because the company had a 5K race and a 10K race. And I'm like, oh. Only the old people do the 5K or the uh, walk. <laughs> I'm doing the 10K because I'm, you know, because I'm 24, 25. Right. Cool. You know, I'm competitive. Of course I'm going to do that. And some one of the guys like, come on, do the 10K. I'm like, okay. And so that's literally what it took to stretch me from 5 to 10K. And when you're in mm-hmm. your 20s, it's easy. Just do it. Okay. But then I saw people doing marathons. I'm like, I'm going to do a marathon. I'm going to do it before I turn 30. Because if I don't do it before I turn 30, I'll probably never do it. But there's these, you know, mental numbers in our head. You know, mm. anything that ends in a zero or a five is a big number for people for some reason. Yeah. There we go. Hey, Rock and Roll Marathon San Diego. Did it three weeks before my 20th, uh, 30th birthday. Nice. Okay? And finished it. I'm like, okay, I'll go do another one of these because something like, 70% of people who do a marathon only do one, then they stop. Some like 70% of people who go into martial arts get their first degree black belt and they stop. So mm. I'm like, I'm not going to be the one, the one and done guy. I'm not going to be a one hit wonder. So I did marath- <laughs> the same marathon the next year. And, but to do a marathon, you know, that's four plus hours that you're out there. You've got mm. all this training. You need to, you know, sleep. You need to alter your entire life to do that. Okay or else you're not going to do it well, you're going to get hurt, things like that. And so right. um, I'm like, after the second one, I'm like, that's it. I'm never doing another marathon. So, you know, I did 5Ks, 10Ks. Then a bu- couple of years later, some of my buddies from high school called me up. They're like, hey, Templin, you're a runner. I'm like, I'm not really a runner. <laughs> you know, I run, but I'm not a runner. So they're like, hey, we got this cool thing. It's really crazy. So we thought of you. I'm like, really? All right, fine. What is it? All right, so you go and you sit in a van and we drive out to this place and everybody runs one leg after another. So you sit in the van while somebody else runs. All right, Mm -hmm. cool. And then, you know, you sleep on a floor someplace or, you know, know, out in a field and then you run another one and then you run it again. So it's three legs, you know, 200 mile team relay. So you're going to do 15 to 17 miles. And then we parted. Like, I'm in. And it was the most insane thing because I'm there with like a, a rolling reunion. One of my buddies, who Dave Tamburino, who was an yeah. Olympic speed skater, two-time Olympian, was doing wow. it with me. I hadn't seen him in 20 years. And like he calls me a week later. He's like, dude, I had this dream that we were in this van and we were running. I'm like, that was no dream. Okay? And so you get <laughs> in zone. So that's Ragnar's. I've, I've done like 20 of them now. Oh, more medals. Yep, more medals. Um, so... We did all that, and then COVID hit a couple of years ago. My running mm-hmm. team, the road has it's like, what are we going to do? You know, because we're used to doing this. So we did like yeah. a moonlit 5K virtually and a remote ragnard. Then they're like, hey, let's do a backyard ultra. So an ultra marathon technically is anything over 26.2 miles. So like, okay. all right, every hour you're going to go out and you're going to run one, two, or three miles. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll do three miles because, you know, I'm one of the guys who's like more of a mileage hog. You know, I'm not fast. I'm not, you know, graceful in any way, shape or form. I look like a broken, mm-hmm. you know, pirate, 
you know, I sound like <laughs> one of them. But you know what? I do it, okay? And it's one of those things where it's all heart as you get deeper into it. Yeah, it's yeah. all spirit. It's what have you done beforehand? So it's endurance, which I was always high endurance in Taekwondo. So I just outlast people until they get tired that I'd be able to beat them. But so I was able to have the stick to of this. You know, it's probably because I'm a thick headed Irishman, I'm too stupid to give up. So I would just keep going and going. So I committed to the three miles per hour. I didn't realize we were starting at 9 a.m. I thought we started at 5 a.m. So 5 a.m. Mm. I get up, I go run my three miles. And then I rest at 6 a.m. I go run my next three. And then I'm like, where is everybody? How come they're not posting? And then, you know, at 9, right. 15, 9.30, people start posting that they're running and everything. They're running like, oh, okay. So I'm like uh, four hours ahead of everybody. I'm 12 miles ahead. All right. And then after like 20 miles, 25 miles, other people are dropping out. I get to 40 miles and everybody's dropped out. And then they start encouraging me in the stupid, hey, keep going, Templin, keep going. I'm like, wow. all right. I always swore I wouldn't do another marathon. So from a mathematics point of view, two negatives make a positive. So I'll just do a double marathon. And in my mind, 40 miles in, that made sense. So I kept going. <laughs> and at this point, you know, I'm physically beyond anything I've ever done. I've never gone right. more than 30 miles in a day. I'm physically exhausted. I'm mentally stupid, you know, which happens at that point. I'm almost emotionally drained. I get a call from one of my close female friends and she's having an issue, mm. major issue. So I have to support her. So I'm literally shuffling along and listening to her and, you know, talking her down. Yeah, so you're on the phone running still? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't call it running while I was doing it that point, <laughs> I'm 40 plus miles in. I'm still moving and going. Okay. And in ultra running, you know, we call it ultra running. It's not really running most of it, unless you're a weirdo like David Goggins and people like that. But, you know, I'm not carrying the boat. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm talking with her and helping her through. And I get through it. I do the 52 and a half miles. And I'm there in the shower afterwards. You know, uh, by the way, listening to David Goggins talking about doing an ultra marathon before you do your first one, don't do it. Bad idea. Because he's talking about his entire body shutting down, and you know, peeing blood and all that. Don't Damn. do it. Okay. But Goggins admits he hates running too. And this guy's going to win bad water at some point. So if he Why are you guys it, running so much? You don't even like running. I don't like running. I hate it. But I do it because <laughs> it makes me better. I love what it feels like when I stop. And I like being able to eat, you know, so I can eat all the Oreos I want on days that I have long runs. So um, the water is pouring down me. I'm shivering and everything. I'm like, you know what? If This was dumb, but I'm glad I did it because yeah. only about 100,000 people on the planet have done ultra marathons. Okay? That's approximately wow. the same number of people who are worth $100 million. Thanks. Correlation. So this, maybe I could do that. And, you know, because I'm like, I'm not going to be a one and done. I'm like, if I went about this a little bit smarter, I could do better. So six months later, I did 100 kilometers. Started yeah. at midnight, had better nutrition, um, didn't have to deal with the emotional stuff. And I was able to do an additional 10 miles wow. in two hours less. You're ready to roll that time. Better feeling in recovery. So talk about um, in your book, talk about choosing the hard road. So like one example of doing hard things is uh, last year, about uh, a month after I did the first ultra marathon, 
was training and everything for the next one. And I'd done my five or six miles in the morning, supposed to do five miles that evening. And it was a long day at work. I worked 14, 15 hours. I get home and I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit on the couch. No, I'm not sitting on the couch because if I sit on the couch, then I have to get I'm up and okay, extra you know, energy to do that. So I'm just going to avoid that whole situation. So one, you know, choosing to avoid the easy thing where then I'm going to have to expend all sorts of extra energy, do that, okay? But two, I'm like, all right, I'll just, you know, the clouds are coming in, it's going to rain. I'll just go downstairs around the truck. No, I'm not going to do that. And I go on <laughs> my running shoes and I go outside and the wind's whipping up and I start running and like a half mile in, it starts raining a little bit and that's raining more and the wind's pummeling me. I'm like, this sucks. You know? <laughs> I literally said, this is going to suck before I walk, walked on out. And, you know, I'm getting the squishy feet and, you know, oh, that's the worst. all that sort of stuff. I hate the squishy feet, especially, you know, it takes three days for the sneakers to dry out. That's one of the reasons why I have always like three or four sets of sneakers so I can rotate through them. And, you know, uh, you know, I'm out there and the wind's blowing in my face. And so like, obviously I'm not making good time. I still have to do this distance because if you run out, you have to run back. You know, it's not like there's going to be somebody coming on along with a golf cart to bring you in. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I'm doing that and I get it done and I get back and I'm taking my shower in that warm water. It's like, ah, this is awesome. And yeah. like that did suck, but I'm better for it. So that's an example of choosing to do the hard thing, knowing mm. that's hard in the moment, but it's going to make you better overall. And if you look, our entire life is filled with these. Everybody makes about 10,000 micro decisions every single day. Mm-hmm. And like Colossus tells Deadpool in Deadpool 2, four or five moments. Four or five moments, what determines in a lifetime whether you're a hero or a villain. Well, for those of us without superpowers, unfortunately, I don't have any, you know, four or five micro decisions every single day determine if we're a hero for that day or a villain, if our arrow is pointed up mm. or pointed down, if the day is green or red, okay? And those are micro choices that we can set up our environment to make better ones. Like, for example, if you don't want to eat junk food, don't have junk food in the house. Yep. Okay. This is part of what uh, Thaler got the Nobel Prize in economics for because of behavioral economics nudge theory stuff okay make it so that you can make the less bad choice as we said in the fraternity so in any situation you have two potential out uh, choices there two parts of the decision tree you can do what's mm-hmm. easy now feels good i'm gonna yeah. have this cheeseburger instead of eating healthy yeah double I'm gonna play this video game instead of cracking the book and studying i'm going to have the drag on this cigarette I'm going to go on this app on my phone that maybe I shouldn't. I'm mm-hmm. going to, you know, so I'm going to get that moment of rush of joy and feel real good and right. do the thing. But what happens long range? Okay, I'm going to avoid the conversation with the person that I care about because it's just mm-hmm. easier to avoid it now. What happens eventually? You get divorced or you break up. Okay, I'm going to eat the cheeseburgers and eventually you're 250 pounds and you're diabetic. Nine out of ten. Leading causes of death in the United States, other than COVID, are lifestyle choices. And yeah, COVID yeah, yeah. Is, was a comorbidity with all these other things. So if right. you were overweight or diabetic or developed cancer from your life, smoking cigarettes, you actually increased your probability of death from COVID by a huge factor. Yeah, okay? yeah, for sure. So if you do what's easy now, your life becomes much harder down the road. But if you do the hard thing now, studying 
Well, then you pass the test and you get the good job and you make a lot more money. Okay. So study, stay in school, guys. Okay. If you have that difficult conversation, you nip stuff in the bud and you can actually keep your relationship going. If you go and run in the cold, even though you don't like it, you have Mm -hmm. reserves, mental, physical, and emotional that you can tap into down the road if need be. I always do this at the end Mm -hmm. and I have my three what questions. So the first one is what's an unpopular opinion that you may have? I would say in your field, but your field is. My field is the field of life. (laughs) So my unpopular opinion is that convenience kills, that we are coddling individuals and we're making it so easy for everything that people don't have resilience. They don't have the ability to overcome obstacles. They don't have the belief that they can overcome said obstacles. And so Goethe has a quote, which is sitting on my board here. Too many parents make life hard for their children by trying too zealously to make it easy for them. And we've made it so easy that they no longer understand what it's like to work hard. That leads into my next question. All right. Okay. What advice would you give to a high school student? Because I do have some kids that watch my podcast. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give to those students if I took this back to, to my classroom? Okay. So I have, my kids are high school age. And so obviously they're not going to listen to me because nobody listens to their parents. They listen to their favorite <laughs> uncle or what have you. But one, avoid people who are going to lead you down that bad path. You become who you are around. So if you're going to hang out with other degenerates, you're going to become a degenerate. If you're going to hang out with people with high standards that push you to excel academically, athletically, musically, you know, in those realms, you're going to be pushed and you're going to become better. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's one is hang out with the people that you ultimately want to be that are good for you. And two, if it's not fatal, it's fixable. If you've made mistakes, you can correct it today. Yes. Yes. You can, you know what, if the computer code crashed, you can fix it and, you know, build something better. If, you know, you're not a good driver, you can practice. If you failed your math test, guess what? Crack the books and study harder. And next time you can pass more, get a tutor, do whatever you have to do. Go on YouTube because there's all sorts of tutoring there. You can get anything that you need there. If you are looking for the stuff that's going to feed you as opposed to harm you. Okay. So those are really... The two things that I would tell a high school student or even a college student. And then the third is explore, find out who you are. Okay. Life is a smorgasbord from the time that you're 17 years old to about 25. So try all the tacos. Okay. (laughs) Listen to all the different music. You know, talk to the pretty girl or the cute boy. Okay. Take that class, you know, learn to juggle explore these things because you Just don't go know do it's going to really fire you up and become a part of who you are long range. Because one of the things that I used to tell my interns is my goal as their director in this internship program was to feed them enough olives to allow them to get enough exposure to this field to be able mm-hmm. to say, I love this. I want to do this for the rest of my life. I hate this. I'm not going to do this. Yep. I, out of here. I'm, you know, I, I like it. I need to try a little bit more. But really, mm-hmm. the goal was one of these two bipolar outcomes of love it or hate it. And you know what? If you hate it, that's great. You know it, though. Explore, learn, 
figure it out so that you can get figure out where your path's going to be. If you weren't, so this one is hard for me to ask you because you do like everything, but if you weren't doing, you know, writing books, okay, we'll just mm-hmm. use that. If you weren't writing books, what would you be doing? What I, what I do is I write books and I talk to individuals and groups to help See? bring out their excellence. And that's what I would do. You know, maybe I'd have a podcast if I really wanted to go. Like, so I could bring in people like you and other individuals and I could continuously learn from them. Because that's mm. one of the best things about when I'm doing podcasts is interacting with the individuals, having questions thrown at me that I haven't really thought about before, hearing new ideas, exploring stuff and building these relationships that I cycle back through. Because like some of the podcasts yeah. I was on six months ago, they're like, Joe, come on back. Let's talk some more. I'm like, yes, awesome. Let's when I it. travel, if I'm in an area where one of the podcasts was, we get together and we have a beer and we talk and you know, I get to learn new things. So that's why I would do. And there's no better place to end it. Uh, Joe Templin, where can people find you? Plug your book, plug your social media, your website. Go they can for probably it. find me out running, um, but they can <laughs> find the book anywhere books are sold. So Barnes and Noble, Amazon, uh, Amazon's the best place to get the ebook. It's the most cost-effective way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, they can also get it on my website, everyday-excellence.com. That's everyday-excellence.com. That's where they can buy books in bulk and discount. But that's an environment beyond just buying the books. Um, all the podcasts are up there. Um, mm-hmm. I write a microblog every single day. Uh, the YouTube and Twitter feed there. So yeah. they can get all sorts of other insight and information, really tiny uh, bite-sized pieces. So I call them, you know, espresso shots of excellence. So just boom, be able to keep going. Yeah, our daily cup of Joe. I heard you say that. I thought that was pretty clever. <laughs> I know once my son was born, I was like, well, I guess it's coffee every day. <laughs> He's one. Yeah, you're going to have a lot more coffee over the years, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, man, it was a pleasure. I'm grateful that you took the time out to come here to my little corner of the world. Uh, it's been really fun. I mean, you're doing a ton of stuff. Uh, I just encourage you to keep going, man. Keep going after those things. Hey, one foot in front of the other. As Zeno Saitiam said, well-being is no small thing, but it's made up of small steps. Be excellent and grow today, my friend. Every day. All right. Uh, Make sure you guys share this podcast. You just listened to the whole thing. Go ahead and share it with somebody that you think will love it. Uh, If you're listening to this on YouTube, make sure you throw some comments below, like, uh, if you're listening to this on Google or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure you guys download. Make sure you rate and review and share. Signing off for Joe Templin, I am Tony Rambles, your host, and I will see you all in the next ramble. Man, Joe, that was awesome.